Amen. What a service to be a part of. I don't even know how I'm meant to follow that. Like, uh, my name's Tom, and I just want to welcome you here this morning. I've got the privilege to speak to you guys for the next few moments. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up and turn to that right away. We're going to be jumping straight into it, and we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 19. And as a story I reckon many of us have probably heard before, it's a story that we've probably maybe even heard in Sunday school, and it's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, the tax collector. So I want to jump straight in, and I just want to read through this together. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, He being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead, he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, he came down, he received him joyfully, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus, he stood up and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." Let's pray as we get started here this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's in your word, for the the challenge that's in your word. And we pray that as we seek to understand this morning, that you would open our hearts to what you want to say, that your spirit would be at work in each one of us. God, I, I pray for this time that we have. I pray for my words that ultimately your message would be what speaks louder than anything else here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, there was an image that went viral across the internet. And there's probably no image that has caused more division across Western society than this particular image. And believe it or not, it was an image of a dress. And I'm sure that some people have probably seen this image before. Now, I'd be interested, how many people here have seen this image? Yep, all right. How many people here see an image that is a dress that is black and blue? Okay, interesting. How many people see a dress that is white and gold? Yes, you are my people. (laughs) You are my people. I see white and gold up there. I just don't understand what this black and blue business is all about. If you're seeing this image for the first time, though, it's hard to believe that the same group of people are seeing two different things. And I don't really understand the science behind it, but it's something to do with how the light was reflecting when the image was taken and how our brains process light, so that different people see a different thing. And it started by someone, they just took a photo of this dress, they sent it to their daughter to ask for what her opinions were on it, and then they couldn't agree on what color it was. So she went and she showed her friends, and then none of them could agree, so she posted it to Facebook, and overnight, millions of people had started this epic debate on what color this dress was. Like, hashtag the dress was like the biggest thing going around the internet, because no one could agree, and it created these two groups of people, team white and gold and team black and blue. And eventually, 
they managed to track down the original person who, who took the photo. And I hate to have to admit this, because Jesse is on team black and blue. But the, re the reality is the dress is, in fact, black and blue. It is not white and gold. But you kind of look at this and you ask, how did this become so viral so quickly? And I think that in part it's because the fact is there's something within each of us that enjoys joining a group of people that all agree with us and then going to battle with a group that doesn't. Like, I don't know if it's something to do with our competitive nature, but we all enjoy this, so we jump on board with these sort of, sort of things. We see it again and again in the media. The kind of stories that get the most exposure are the kind of stories where there's two very distinct sides. There's a current story, a little bit more serious in the media at the moment, by a rugby player by the name of Israel Folau. Many of us have probably heard this story. And if you don't know what happened, he posted something on his social media reference in scripture around um, homosexuality and Rugby Australia, they decided to terminate his contract based on what he posted and now he's fighting against that in the legal system. It's raised a lot of questions in Australia about what's free speech and what's hate speech and all these different things but looking at this story, irrespective of what side you're on, irrespective of whether you agree with what he said or you don't, irrespective of whether you agree with how he said it or not, that's irrelevant but it's interesting to look at this kind of story and to see the two very distinct sides, and to naturally see how when we hear a story like this, we join one of those sides. And I think that if we're not careful, it can start to change the way that we think about the people on the opposing side. Because we live in an us versus them culture, a culture of sides, where we're continually going to battle with people who disagree with us. We don't see this any clearer than leading up to a federal election. We saw this just a few months ago. Suddenly people become more vocal about the, the policies that they believe in, the social issues that they stand for. And I, I want to say there's so many social issues and policies that deserve our time and our discussion. But the sad reality is often that discussion, the healthy discussion at least, it just gets lost in aggression and a lack of respect from both sides. Because in an us-versus-them culture the natural tendency is for the us's to just want to destroy the them's because they pose a threat. And what I want to look at for the next few moments we have here this morning is how do we respond to that as followers of Jesus? If that's the culture we live in, what's our response? And at its core, I actually think it's quite simple. And that's the love of God. Because ultimately, that's what we're called to bring to this world is the love of God. And last week, we have the privilege of hearing from Dale, and he really, he spoke to us about what the gospel's about, that no matter how far someone feels from God, that God is in pursuit of them. And what I want to look at this morning is how do we follow him in that? If our God is the kind of God that leaves the 99 and goes out in pursuit of the one, if he is relentless in his pursuit of those that don't know him, then as followers of him, shouldn't we reflect that same kind of character in our own lives? And I don't think there's a better story that captures Jesus' heart, not just for the lost, but for the other, for the thems, than the story of Zacchaeus. So I want to spend some time in here and just look at what we can learn from Jesus in this story. And it starts in verse 1. It says, He entered Jericho, and he was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And it says he was a chief tax collector. Now, culturally, let's just understand what that would have meant, because tax collectors in that day were not popular people. 
because they were employed by the Roman government. The Romans, they were really intelligent about how they went to collect their taxes. They understood that no one knew the Jewish culture and the Jewish people better than the Jewish people. So they would get Jews to go and collect their taxes for them. And these Jews, these tax collectors, they were seen as traitors to their own people because they were working for the Romans. So they were hated. And here we have Zacchaeus as a chief tax collector. So he would have been even more known among the community and even more hated among the community. But then Luke, he adds another detail on top of that and says he was rich. And in that culture, it really only meant one thing that he wouldn't just go collect the taxes, but then he would put his own surcharge on top of those taxes, collect more than the Roman government required, and then take that extra for himself. That was so common. That's what tax collectors did. And you can just imagine that he's exploiting the very helplessness and often the poverty of his own people. That is the kind of character we're introduced to here. This is not a sympathetic character. He made it real clear where his priorities were. He cared way more about himself than he cared about anyone else. This is who Zacchaeus was. And then kind of understanding that that's that's who we're introduced to, the next verse almost comes a little bit unexpected. Because then it says, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. You kind of got to ask, why was someone like that seeking Jesus? It's obvious he knew something about Jesus. He'd heard something about Jesus. And up until this point, Jesus had become kind of famous in the region for his message. The message that anyone can come to God if they're willing to accept their need. It was a few chapters earlier that he actually preached a really well-known parable in Luke 15. And this is how it goes. It says, now the tax collectors... And the sinners, they were all drawing near to him, drawing near to Jesus. The Pharisees, the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This is what Jesus was becoming known for. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home... He gathers all his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found the sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons with no need to repent. This is the kind of message that Jesus had been preaching. I just wonder, was it that kind of message that drew someone like Zacchaeus in to want to learn more? We don't really know for sure, but what we can say pretty confidently is that Zacchaeus wasn't content with his life. Because you don't go out seeking after something more from a place of contentment. And Zacchaeus, he had wealth, he had authority, and he had power. And yet we see here, he is longing for something more than that. And that's the first thing that I want us to capture as Christians. If we want to follow Jesus' example in his passionate pursuit of the lost, his passionate pursuit of the thems, the people in our lives that we disagree with, that we find ourselves on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to political issues, social issues, then we can't make assumptions about where they might be at because they, in actual fact, might be seeking. It was a few years ago that I was studying, and I was studying digital media technologies, 
and we had this assessment that was given to us, and we had to create a poster on a controversial social issue. And then we had to take these posters, and we actually had to go out and publicly display them to try and get people's feedback. You can imagine how that went. Um, that's a story for another day. But leading up to this assessment, our teacher, she did an, up an example of what we could do, what it could look like, and the topic she picked was religion. And what she designed up was a mousetrap, and where you would normally have the cheese, there was a cross. And she demonstrated that anyone moving towards the cross, when they got there, would ultimately just get trapped. And I remember I saw that, and I, I made up my mind where she was at with like, God. I was like, she's closed off, okay. And for the next few months, I would do absolutely everything I could to dance around the fact I was a Christian, to avoid that coming up. Because I didn't know how she was going to react, and I was probably a little bit scared about how she might react. Until one day, despite my absolute best efforts to avoid it, it came up that I was a Christian. It was just me and her in the class. And I remember that like second, I was just waiting. What is the response going to be? And rather than um, ridicule or even awkwardness or silence, the number one response was curiosity. And she started to ask questions. And uh, she started to then open up about her own upbringing in the church and her own struggles with that, and then started to ask me what I thought about God and what I thought about the church. And we had a 40-minute conversation about faith and about God, and I was able to share who I understood God to be, who I, what I understood the church to be. And at the end, she said, I'd be interested to go to a church like that. I didn't even have to invite her. And it amazes me that that conversation almost didn't happen because of an assumption I projected onto someone who was actually seeking I wonder how many times do our assumptions stop us from engaging with people who might, in fact, be seeking after something more than what they have? That just because someone's from a different religious background or a cultural background, that they have a different lifestyle to us, that we don't engage with them, when they might actually be seeking after something because there might be an emptiness there. Because all our assumptions do is just build a wall between us and the people that God wants us to reach. So if we're going to follow Jesus' example, we need to see people how he sees them, as loved and with value. Because when we start to look at Zacchaeus' character a little bit more, at first thought, he's got power, he's got wealth, he's got authority, he's got everything. But we start to unpack him a little bit more. We see something else in his character because it says that he was seeking Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not see him because he was small in stature. So we've got a short guy, we've got a tall crowd, he can't see. What does he do? It says he ran on ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree. Now that's a small action, but I actually think that's really significant because culturally, what would that have meant given his position? That would have been damaging to his reputation. That would have been disgraceful. And remember, we're in a crowd that already hates him. You can imagine the mocking that would have taken place. But we just see Zacchaeus wanting to seek after Jesus, not caring what anyone else thinks. And we start to see this humility in his character. I just ask, was that what drew Jesus towards him out of everyone else in the crowd? Was that humility? Because there's one group of people that... Throughout scriptures, we see Jesus always very direct towards. 
even harsh towards, and that was the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And we often associate the fact that he was harsh towards them with the fact that they were religious. But below that religion, what was there? It was just pride. It was their inability to see their own sin, the fact that they saw themselves better than the people around them. And Jesus, he would call them out on this again and again and again. And here in Zacchaeus, we see the opposite. We see a humility. All he wants is to seek after Jesus. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. I think that draws Jesus in. And it says that he came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. It drew Jesus towards him out of everyone else in that crowd. And what we see about Jesus is that he goes after the Zacchaeus in the crowd. And I wonder if maybe you're here and you feel like you're in Zacchaeus' position, where you might actually feel far from God, or you might even feel inadequate. What we see here is that our inadequacy doesn't discount us from the grace of God. For Zacchaeus, it actually put him in the perfect position to receive it. And that's what Jesus saw in him. So Jesus moved towards him and he looked up and he said his name Zacchaeus. I ask, how did he know his name? I mean, it could have been supernatural. It could have been the Holy Spirit prompting him. Or maybe he just heard it in the crowd when they were looking up and mocking him. Whatever it was, he said it as a statement, I know you, you're known. And with that, I know who you are. And for Zacchaeus, that would have meant he knew that he knew his sin. And then what does he follow that with? I want to come to your house today. And he sees someone ready to receive his grace. So what does he do? He creates an opportunity for Zacchaeus to step into that grace. And that's the second thing that we need to capture as, as followers of Jesus. If we want to follow his example in his pursuit of the lost, in his pursuit of the thems, the others, then we need to be active in creating opportunities because we can't expect them to do it for us. It was a few weeks ago um, that my fiance and I, I'm still getting used to saying that. Um, my fiance and I, we were driving along and we came to this intersection and there was a man in a wheelchair and he was crossing the road. And as he got to the end of, got to the footpath, there was a bit of a slope and you could tell he was struggling to get up. And Jesse, without a second thought, said, I think he needs help, we should hop out, we should help him. And then me, without a second thought, I was like, hold on a second, like, wait. Like, I had three good reasons why maybe we shouldn't do that. And I thought they were good reasons, like we might offend him. Like, by the time we get out there, he's probably going to be sorted. He's probably going to be fine. What's the difference between our reactions? Mine was driven by comfort. And hers was just driven by compassion. So it didn't take us long to realize that she was right. Um, <laughs> this was an opportunity to demonstrate God's love. So... She hopped out, I went to find a park, and she went and asked, do you need any help? And he politely said no and explained that since the recent accident that put him in that chair, he's been trying to build up muscle, and said he was just going to the bus, drop down the, a bus, bus stop down the road. So Jesse asked, well, do you mind if I walk with you? And he said, I'd love that. 
So they started down the footpath, and it didn't take long for him to start opening up about the struggle that he's had adjusting to that chair and his struggles with purpose and seeing his purpose in this world after his accident. And, and then he asked Jessie what her view on purpose was and opened the door to her being able to share about a God who sees us in our brokenness, whether that's physical or emotional, but loves us anyway and wants to use that. And he didn't push away from this. He pressed in. And what she saw was someone that was seeking, someone that now is moving towards faith. And it's crazy to think that that almost never happened because I wanted to stay comfortable, because I didn't want to put myself in a potentially awkward interaction. And I wonder how many times do we miss the opportunities around us because we excuse them away? I think we're really good at making excuses. I don't know enough. I'm not the right person. I'm not good with people. I'm too busy. We live in a world that is so busy. We always have another meeting. In this story, if you read the chapters around it, we actually see that Jesus, he wasn't going to Jericho where this took place. He was actually passing through Jericho. He was moving towards Jerusalem, He was literally just going through Jericho on the way. Why was he going to Jerusalem? Because he had a mission. What was that mission? It was his final mission. It was the cross where he was going to go die for the sin of the world so that we could have a reconciled relationship with God. Literally the most important mission in all of history, and he had time to stop and create an opportunity for someone who was seeking I don't know about you, that just puts into perspective how important our next business meeting might be. If Jesus made this a priority, we need to as well. There's there's this quote which some of us might have heard. It's quite popular, I think, in Christian society. And it says, um, go and preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. When you hear this, it's pretty profound. It's talking about how our actions, they play such a huge role in ministering God's love to people, right? But can I just say, I think if we base our lives on this this quote, we're going to end up being highly ineffective. Because the reality is that faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, for someone to hear it, it has to be spoken. And I think it's amazing if our friends and our family and our work colleagues know we're Christians, and they know that we don't say certain words, maybe. They know we don't go certain places, but I wonder how often do they feel invited into what we have? How often do we create an opportunity for them to be invited into what we have? Because that's what Jesus did. When he saw someone ready to receive his grace, he created an opportunity for them, and he did it over a meal. I just think that's a great template to use. It doesn't always need to be an invitation to Alpha or church. There might be a step before that, and that step might be just welcoming them into your home. It might look different for each of us, but I just think that it's a great example of what it looks like to create an opportunity for someone who is seeking. If you look at this story, what's, what's Zacchaeus' reaction to Jesus' invitation that he gives him? It says that he, he hurried and he came down. He received it joyfully. 
And then the crowd, their reaction, when they saw it, it says they all grumbled, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. They were missing the message that Jesus came to bring, the message that we are all sinners, that none of us are worthy. And it's through admitting that, admitting our need, that we can accept his grace. It's through that very act of his love coming after us when we're sinners that leads us to transformation, that leads us to a change of heart. And that's what we see take place in Zacchaeus. It's this very act of love from Jesus that leads him in verse 8 to say, And Zacchaeus, he stood up, he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus, he says here, if I can be loved when I was a sinner, if I can be loved when I was the worst of the worst, all I can do is love others. And he did that with what he had, which was his wealth. That's the power of what creating an opportunity for someone can mean. And you look at that and you go, well, okay, we're talking about Jesus here, though. How can we expect that kind of transformation to take place in our own family, in our own friends? And the amazing thing is we don't have to, which is the last thing that I think we need to capture as Christians if we're going to follow Jesus' example in his passionate pursuit of the lost We need to trust that Jesus is the one that does the transformational work in their lives, not us. And he makes that very clear in that last verse where he says, For the Son of Man, for I came to seek and to save the lost. And I believe that if we're able to start seeing people as God sees them, to tear down the assumptions that we make about the people that look different to us, do life different to us, We're able to see them with God's eyes, and we're able to start creating opportunities to introduce those people to the grace and the love of our God. Then we're going to be amazed at the transformational work that Jesus does in their lives, because ultimately, He is the one that saves. And I think that that's the best response we can bring to a divisive culture, to a culture of us versus them that constantly wants us to focus on our differences, that we can transcend that as followers of Jesus by just seeing people as lost and seeing people as needing Jesus and then pursuing them because that's what Jesus did. And that's what I think each of us should strive to reflect in our own lives. Let's pray.